0: Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and registered art therapist.
1: And I'm Catherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist?
0: Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door.
1: You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist, including bloopers, jaw-droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern-day therapists.
0: This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs.
1: And while we're not the gatekeepers for good and bad therapy,
0: because we're bad therapists
1: too, We are here to shine a light on the difficult decisions therapists face on a daily basis and normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about.
0: Our mission on Am I a Bad Therapist is to normalize and humanize our existence as therapists. You can help us spread this message by subscribing and leaving us a review wherever you are right now, whether that's YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you know the drill.
1: You can also help us by sharing Am I a Bad Therapist with your network, whether it's on social media, your stories, or just between colleagues. Every listener helps us make a difference in this field, and we'll always reshare if you tag us.
0: If you're listening to the podcast, make sure to check out our pretty faces on our YouTube channel.
1: And if you're watching us on YouTube, make sure to head over to our podcast and leave a review. You can find all of our links in the notes below.
0: We pick a few lucky five-star reviewers to shout out and invite for a 15-minute consultation with the both of us to talk about anything on your mind, from clinical work to podcasting We're game. Just make sure to leave us your name and location in the review.
2: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
0: Catherine, when I say the word countertransference, what is the first thing that comes to mind? What's that first word? Yuck.
1: I hate countertransference. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. It makes me feel yucky. And it's usually because I'm triggered.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have talked about countertransference before, and we will continue to talk about it again. But today's story is so unique. We're going to hear from Rob and how he really was able to transform a moment of countertransference and utilize it for his own personal growth and career growth.
1: What? transpires out of this one moment of transference is incredible. You will not believe how it shifted his career path, his personal and relational growth. It's a great story. And just a reminder that this episode is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not a substitute for clinical consultation, ethical guidance, or therapy itself.
0: All right. Well, this is episode number 21 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it.
1: So Rob, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hey, nice to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, before we get started in hearing about your bad therapist moment or moments, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah. So um, I'm currently a therapist over in uh, Montgomery County, Maryland. Um, I got my master's from Frostburg State University in 2020. So graduated right in the height of the pandemic, which is something. (laughs) Um, and so I've been now working out in the field as a a community-based therapist for a couple years now. I work primarily with kids and adolescents right now. Um, my previous experience had been pretty much all adults, so that was uh, quite the shift. Um, but yeah, and now I do a mental health related TikTok, um, YouTube page, um, yeah, just diving into the field.
1: We love following you, therapy, Rob. So
2: thanks. For <laughs> Appreciate
1: it. So, tell us about uh, your bad therapist moment.
2: Yeah. Um, so for a while, when I was getting my master's, I did a, um, I did a job. It was a psychiatric rehabilitation professional, so PRP. Um, and so I did a lot of like community work, a lot of like just connecting people with resources, all that stuff, and. I had these opportunities to kind of practice the things that i was learning in the classroom at the same time and so i had gotten a good little bit of experience before going into my internship which i ended up having at the hospital over in uh, in cumberland maryland where i was uh where i was learning and so while working at the hospital we would cycle from you know area to area so started out in the psychiatric er doing crisis assessments um then moved over to the behavioral health unit actually working with inpatient uh staff and patients everything there and then um, later moved to the intensive outpatient groups, so IOP groups, um, where for, I guess, people who don't know, that's kind of like a step down from the hospital. Okay. Um, and so I had had a good bit of experience leading up to this, and so you know, all through my master's, you know, we would talk about your stimulus value, we would talk about transference, you know, things to expect for uh, what might happen internally, what the unconscious is doing, all that kind of stuff. Um, but there was this moment pretty early on in IOP um, I hadn't done groups before, and so it was uh, a pretty interesting experience to get into. And so for the beginning, I was told by the person who I was shadowing, just kind of, you know, be there, watch the process happen. And as we would move through it, you know, if you feel like there's something you can say that you want to kind of add in, you know, go ahead and just start slowly working your way into uh, into facilitating. And so for myself, I, I initially went to therapy myself back in 2017. Uh, no, not 2017, back in 2015, um, I had been in the throes of addiction for a really, really long time, Um, good bit of trauma, a lot of things that led to uh, a a really big breakdown in my life. Um, And so from the moment that I went and I got therapy, you know, started my recovery journey, I was confident I wanted to be a therapist, but I wasn't exactly prepared for the transference that comes, I think, with being in recovery yourself and, you know having your own traumatic experiences and then being in a room full of people who are in the throes of that situation um and so there was one specific day pretty early on in that process when uh the transference hit me hit me very hard um and so that was yeah i guess the the story i wanted to share today
1: I think that most of us listening and or recording this podcast can absolutely relate to that, whether it be our recovery or our own mental health struggles or even just situations like I find myself having a lot of countertransference with relational patterns that are similar to Mm. mine. Um, And so, you know, Rob, can you tell us a little bit more about what the situation that caused the countertransference was like?
2: Yeah. So, um, there were a a couple things that you know were involved in my addiction but one of the really big things was alcohol um you know i I think being in a college environment i had this uh this misconception about how much everybody else was drinking and so it seemed very normal for a very long time until it became very obvious that it wasn't uh it wasn't healthy at least um and so in in the first few days of, of working in iop there i remember there was this one gentleman who had been he had been there since I had started going. Um, he was part of the usual, the usual group. And he was really struggling with alcohol use at the time. He had been struggling for, I mean, years by this point. Um, and so I remember one day, you know, I'm sitting there, you know, kind of off in the corner, the facilitator is more close to the center, and I was listening to him share, and he was talking about a lot of how um, alcohol had taken a lot from him. And more specifically, one of the things that he was really holding on to that day was the fact that he felt that it was really taking away the relationship that he had with his kid. Um, and for myself, I mean, that's it's hard to hear just in the first place, because um, he was, I mean, he was very visually upset. Um, but you know, alcoholism is something that's run right in my family. It's something that uh, kind of took my dad and I's relationship away from us. Um, and so I think hearing him kind of talk about it and talk about the regret that he had, it was a lot of those things That I feel like my dad had never said to me, and Mm -hmm. so for me, I remember like sitting in the corner like on like the verge of tears, like it like was just really hitting me. And like I'm trying to keep my my head in my therapist mode, like okay, well like here are the the symptoms of addiction, here are some things that we could be facing there. And then I'm trying to like imagine for him what it's gonna be like being the father in that situation, because for so much time in my life I had imagined myself lived myself being the son in the situation. and so hearing that perspective that I think I never really thought about, um, you know, it, it was very deeply triggering for me. Cause like, you know, dad would, would from time to time, cause we, we continued to talk and he would talk about, you know, like one well, like of my biggest regrets in my life was, you know, walking out on you and Lauren, uh, my, my sister. And it never really like hit home until that moment. And so I sat in the corner trying to kind of, come to terms with so many things in my life. And I'm trying to figure out like, okay, like, where does this leave me personally? Um, and then all the while trying to figure out like, okay, like, well, like, do I say something? Should I just stay out of this? You know, um, you know, and so that was <laughs> the, the the process I kind of found myself in.
1: Hi. Uh, one, thank you so much for sharing this because I don't think I recognized it before you just shared this very clear example but I can relate to the fact that my work as a therapist has made me a much more compassionate, empathetic human being because of seeing that other perspective and other side when we were typically the roll across from them. And I, it sounds like that hit you like, uh, what's the phrase, a ton of bricks, yeah. um, <laughs> a ton of bricks all at once, all while you are, you know, shadowing, this is your, mm. it sounds like you're training in IOP, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, but this is like mm-hmm. your first, um, you know, first impression management. And here you are sitting right. in the side, you know, having this major transference and thinking of your own relationship with your father.
2: Right. Right. And I mean, I, I, you know, had a bit of mental health experience prior to this. And, you know, working in the, the, like, psychiatric ER, working the behavioral health unit, you hear a lot of really tough things all the time. I mean, when you're doing, you know, risk assessments and everything like that, people are telling you really deeply troubling things. And, um, yeah, and so I, I think for, like, the longest time, I'd had so much anger built up towards my dad. And I, you know, there were so many things that I think he hadn't really said to us or just hadn't really gotten through to us. Because, like, you know, he would he would every once in a while, you know, say like, you know, one of my, one of my biggest regrets in life is, you know, walking out on you and your sister. And um, it wasn't until I go into this room with kind of like that, that instantaneous compassion that we have as therapists, like I'm going to walk into this room, I'm going to be empathetic, I'm going to do my best to really hear people out. Um, you know, and being in that mode and then really hearing, you know, really hearing it and really hearing somebody's experience for like what that's like for them, you know, being in that position, I think, a lot of the anger that I had built up towards my dad up until that point really kind of got shaken by the foundations. Like somebody just grabbed the bottom of the tree and just (laughs) really, really shook it. Um, And so I think I, I, yeah, I just got caught in such a weird position of trying to like figure a lot of my stuff out, Um, you know, and and then simultaneously try to, I guess, talk to the the other individual because it kind of came to me that like, you know, if I'm feeling the empathy to this extent, then I think that we can have a real conversation about this to to some point. Um, and so I had kind of probed, probed the guy to to talk a little bit further about like, you know, what are these regrets? What do you what do you what do you feel like your kid thinks of you and what do you wish you could talk to your kid about? Um, and this is kind of the point that I, I have wondered about my own. First and foremost, I was I was sitting there in that room questioning if I could be a therapist anymore. <laughs> uh, that was definitely one of my first reactions. But like even looking back on it, like I think about whether or not that was the good move. Um, you know, whether it was me asking him because I felt that this would be a good thing for him to process. It'd be cathartic. It would be just um, it'd be something he could build on. Um, or if it was me asking for my own sake. Ah. You know, asking because now it's like I'm sitting in the room with my dad and I want to hear what my dad would say to me. And so. I still kind of go back and forth on it um, because like, yeah, I mean, the motivations were, I think, positive in one way. And then in another way, they were kind of mixed up in all the stuff that I was going through here in the corner of the room. Um, And it resulted in a good conversation. A lot of people came and supported him. They shared their experiences. And we, we continued to go on. It wasn't like a, we didn't go to like a screeching halt that clearly signaled to me, oh, Rob, you are definitely a bad therapist (laughs) Um, but yeah it was it's something that I still I still think about from time to time especially like when I start to experience transference Um, yeah it's it's an experience I'm happy that I had for sure
1: wow so here you are having major counter transference and you just double down and lean into it Mm -hmm. yeah um and I think you know I think it would be unreasonable to assume that all therapist, uh, no therapists or or all therapists have never asked a question for their own gain, right? right? That is something that is a natural bias. I think we work really hard not to do it, but here's a very mm-hmm. clear example of you being in a situation that was triggering, overwhelming, and emotion filled for you, and asking a question that on one hand could help the client, but also could help you. And I wonder if you, have you, did you ever think that it could be both beneficial to you and the client?
2: That's kind of where I, I hope it ended up. Um, I I know in in terms of like the group process, it seems like it was, you know, it it was a good thing to to talk about Um, because it gave people, I think a direct line into, into what his thought process was that they could then contribute on and, you know, he's got all this remorse and he's got all this guilt and the guilt is the thing that's really pushing him down. It's the thing that's really pushing him back into drinking. Um, and so, or at least it's, it's one of the aspects. Um, he also had, I mean, tons of issues with poverty. I mean, it was a really rough situation. Um, but you know, people were able to then directly talk about, like, you know, how do we know that these are the things that your kid's thinking about you, you know, how much of this is you filling in the blanks? How much of this is your own guilt, your own shame feeding into this, kind of narrative that keeps pushing you back into into your addiction. Um and so on that end I, I feel like there's definitely some positives for it. Um and so I, I kind of I, I do try to kind of empathize with myself as well of like, yeah, like you were getting heavily triggered in the moment. Like people when they're heavily triggered, we I I work with trauma a lot and so I got to talk to kids like, you know, when you're triggered, you know, you gotta kinda of forgive yourself the way that you respond from time mm-hmm. to time. Um and, and so for myself I have Definitely reached the point where I'm like, it's okay. Like, you, you I, there was no malicious intent. You know, we, we talked about like mm-hmm. that, that first priority in therapy, the first do no harm. Um, so uh, I, I feel like it came from a place where I felt it could be productive um, mm-hmm. with, a, with a dash of the, the selfish <laughs> piece, I guess.
0: Yeah. So, it's Again, so I really agree with Catherine. Like, I do think it can be both. And I'm glad you had that reflection of like looking at both sides of it. But so up to this point, you have been triggered in this group. Again, was this like really early on? Was this the first group you sat in on IOP? It was like, I think it was
2: like the second or third session. The
0: second. Saying. So very early on. So mm-hmm. I'm curious of what happened next. Like after this one yeah. group that seemed very triggering, did you talk to the co-facilitator afterwards mm-hmm. or your supervisor? Oh, yeah. Like, what did you do next? And how did you deal with it?
2: Yeah, um, so I was lucky enough where the, the person who was the co-facilitator who was, you know, kind of guiding me along the IOP process made me fall in love with IOP, fall in love with groups. Um, she was so compassionate and she was just like so warm and welcoming that like we with, with IOP for adults, it's like a three hour long session. And so every like 45 to 50 minutes, we take a break, we go into the office and she would always utilize that time of like, okay, what are you noticing? What are you feeling? What are you seeing? And so we shut the door i was like i got to talk to you about what just happened to me like immediately and so we like we processed through it a little bit um we had to get into the next hour of uh, of the group so we didn't get to do a ton immediately but yeah i brought it up to her almost immediately like this is what i'm feeling and she was like it's okay like you're recognizing it that's important um and so she pretty much took the third hour from there because it's all psychoeducation from that point um i was like i don't think i can do too much more in the group right now um which she was respectful of you know she didn't shame me for it um and so she took it from there um i talked to my therapist, uh, my own therapist about it very quickly thereafter um I, I i have said before i think all therapists should have their own therapist especially mm-hmm. when you're first starting out um it's so important to be able to work through some of the counter transference um mm-hmm. and so yeah, we, we process that stuff very quickly. It helped me personally, I think, to start working with some of my own trauma and work through some of my own, you know, feelings of my drinking and and all those pieces. Um, so yeah, I kind of jumped headlong into let's get the support. Let's figure out what's going on. Let's, yeah, let's grow from this.
1: Yeah. I love how you let this experience and you took it and you shine, you put him pointed a light on it and you said, let's dive in. Let's use this for, for my own development and both personally and professionally. Um, and I, I don't know if this is too personal, but I'm dying to know, did this impact your relationship with your father at all?
2: Yeah. Uh, I, it, it still took a little bit of time and a little bit of processing, but I think it really opened the door to me forgiving him. Um, or at least not, wow. not necessarily like totally forgiving but accepting that like, you know, there's nothing I can change about that. And really beginning to understand that like, yeah, he was drinking heavily. Like he had kids when he was really young, he was heavy in his, heavy in his addiction. Um, you know, there were a lot of things going on that he just wasn't ready for. Um, and so I've definitely reached that point where like, I've accepted that I talked to him, you know, and I talked to him, you know, without a lot of that like underlying animosity. Um, you know, and my, my sister and I have had conversations about where we kind of stand with things and where we stand with our stepfather, you know, because we have a stepmom and a stepfather now. And so um, we, we've talked about that and everything. But, yeah, it's it's, I think, done a lot for the way that I feel about my own father. And it's let me let go of a lot of that burden that I was holding on to for so long.
1: Let's pause here for a quick ad break.
2: All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch.
0: Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Are you looking to incorporate more creativity into your clinical practice but don't know where to start? As a registered art therapist, I truly believe that every clinician can utilize creativity in what they do. I absolutely love offering consultation and supervision to share with clinicians how to ethically incorporate therapeutic art making into their clinical practice. I focus on easy and simple interventions with very little prep work for you and your clients. Visit www.cccs.care to learn more.
1: By the way, the number one support for those of us asking ourselves, am I a bad therapist? are clinical consultation groups. If you don't have one yet, join us on the Teletherapist Network for unlimited peer consultation groups, including a lot of different specialty groups like clinicians of color, LGBTQ+, couples counseling, EMDR. And of course, Creativity in the Clinical Room hosted by me, Allie plus masterclasses, media leads, and everything else you need for an ethical, modern clinical practice. Join us at
0: teletherapistnetwork.com. And now back to the show. So Rob, it's so amazing that it led to this like personal journey. And I feel like that does happen for myself, even like as we see our clients growing, progressing, I feel like sometimes I can almost like see my own progression journey through other people's mm-hmm. experiences and stories. Um, I'm going to take us back though, to the group. I'm curious, um, what was it like walking into the next group? I don't know if it was the next day, if you were going every day mm-hmm. or what was going through your mind, walking back yeah. into that room.
2: Yeah. Um, I think I had a, uh, I mean, definitely some fear about like, okay, what are we going to do today? You know? Um, cause I mean, uh, I'm still getting used to the group process and I'm trying to ease myself more and more into facilitating. Um, and so there's of course that fear of like, you know, as I see people start checking in on the computer and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of people, (laughs) you know, that part, but also dealing with the, um, you know, okay, yesterday was a tough one, but you know, we've gotten through it, we're back at it today. Um, and so I, I didn't feel too many negative feelings about it. Um, at the point, at that point um the guy i can't remember if he came back in or not um he was a little bit uh yeah because yeah he, he did continue to come in because we had like a whole bus from like the local crisis center would come in and they'd bring people for iop um and so yeah he did come back um i don't remember him being like this uh having any kind of like a central point in that group um i think we had kind of deviated towards somebody else's issue for that day um and so we didn't have to you know come face to face with it immediately um but yeah it was i was definitely a little nervous going into it and we had a, a good conversation um the co-facilitator and myself uh leading into it um of like okay let's review from yesterday like what are we going to do you know all that stuff um i hadn't had a chance to talk to my therapist just yet i think at that point but it was yeah it was it was going to be happening but yeah, the group went well. I ended up uh, really loving IOP. Um, I loved facilitating it. Um, the agency that I'm working at now, um, I had very quickly into working with them, started trying to encourage them to have their own IOP program. So now I spearhead a an IOP program wow. for them for, for kids and adolescents. So, yeah. It, it was a life-changing. Wow.
1: <laughs> not often do we hear about a life-changing IOP experience from the clinicians yeah. end. that's incredible. <laughs> I'm so glad you're sharing this. Yeah. and hopefully listeners can take this and and um go look for their own awesome IOP experiences because I know that we are in desperate need of of more mm-hmm. IOP clinicians around the around the country. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: so Rob, it sounds like, this story really highlights the, the possibility or the opportunity to take a triggering counter-transference-filled moment and use it. So often we look at those moments as, oh goodness, I don't want to do harm to the to the client. I need to get this in check for the client. But you took it and you used it as a springboard for your own professional and personal work outside of your of your job, outside of your clinical work. And I I just think that's so such an opportunity that we don't necessarily highlight or talk about or focus on when we talk about countertransference. It's a lot of times perceived as this negative derailer or possible derailer. But it could also be the double edged sword of it could be a, a springboard for our own growth. And so if, if there's some clinicians out there listening who are currently or maybe in the future find themselves in a situation where they are feeling absolutely reminded of a person in their life that they have struggled with, with their relationship sitting across from them, um, what, what advice would you give them?
2: Um, so therapy, <laughs> number one, for sure. Um, but I think also, like in the moment, I think like just like you said, there's there's so much shame wrapped up in like when we break down, in a sense, as clinicians. Like I, I think sometimes we can put ourselves on such a pedestal, in, in a sense, and like just like I'm a professional, I go in and I do my job and I do it well, and I'm always empathetic and nothing ever gets to me. But it's like we're, we're human beings, and so I think being able to you know feel these things is it's a natural part of empathy. Like if you are. A therapist and you're and you're trying to empathize with people sometimes things get in and then they really get in and i, I think that it's something i think to celebrate rather than to feel so much shame about it's something to grow from
0: so we do have these like recurring topics that, that come up we've talked about counter-transference many times and i know we will again but hearing your perspective Has been so eye opening and wonderful, like a different lens to look through it of, like, again, like what you learned. And also, the part I'm loving is how this impacted your career, like, how, you know, Mm -hmm. this experience that, again, you could have said, I'm super triggered, I'm not going to work with adult alcoholics, perhaps, or I'm not going to work with men who struggle with that. Or, you know, it could have very easily been like, I don't think that population's for me. But I absolutely love it. Again, you faced that you processed it in your own therapy. And again, this has led you to now in your career, you know, starting this IOP program with your agency for adolescents and children. It's so, so incredible, admirable. Like, again, I'm so impressed with just how you took that experience and really transformed your again, like your career path almost.
2: <laughs> i appreciate that It means a lot um yeah i think it's, it's the the field of psychology mental health is so big that i think if the, the way i i kind of looked at it was like if you find an, an environment where you can feel these kinds of things then i think that's you know if you can do the work outside of it and do the therapy you know, i, I think that's a, a an area where you can really you know you, you can do a lot of good work um and that's one of the reasons why like i mean trauma and addictions have been such a like passion of mine because it's like I have been on the other side of this. I've been through it, and like I know what it's like to go into that therapist's office and like have to admit all these things and talk about all these things, and like, um, yeah, I I think it's if you can find something like that as a as a clinician, I think that that can be a really positive experience. I mean, when we even just outside of therapy, we talk about you know doing what you love, um, and so I think if you can find something that makes you feel like that, then it's scary as hell but if you can work through it i I think that there's yeah there can be some good stuff on the other side of that
1: i think the overall message here is when we feel that discomfort it might be an opportunity to double down and look at the beauty that's come out of it that's incredible so rob thank you so much for sharing your story with us today um if people want if listeners want to connect with you outside of the podcast where can they find you
2: uh you can find me on. TikTok as well as YouTube. I'm Therapy Rob. Um, I have an Instagram. I don't do much with it, but um, I, I'm on TikTok and YouTube pretty consistently. Um, so yeah, I'd love to connect with people there.
0: We will will always link that. Oh, we're always going to say the same thing, but we will always link that in the show notes for people who are looking for your links to connect with you. And just to echo what Catherine said again, thank you so much for sharing this story with us today. Again, I can see so many, again, personally, I'm benefiting from this and I can just see so many listeners benefiting from hearing this. So again, thank you so much.
2: Yeah, I I really appreciate you having me and I appreciate the, uh, the kind words. It means a lot.
1: And that's it. The OG bad therapist, Allie and Catherine are signing off for the week.
0: Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We pick a few lucky five-star reviewers to shout out and invite for a 15-minute consultation with the both of us to talk about anything on your mind from clinical work to podcasting. We're game. Just make sure to leave us your name and location in the review.
1: And are you a bad therapist? And want to join us on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com And tell us your story.
0: Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song along with many others on any music platform under the artist Air 4 Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air 4 Effect.
1: And don't forget, we're all bad therapists.